Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. You know, earlier when Pastor Matt said that, uh, that there would be a special guest or a special speaker tonight, I thought, man, I hope the people don't think that, I hope the people don't think that John MacArthur was coming to preach tonight. And then when I pulled up down Callahan, I saw there was not a line all the way to I-10. I thought, okay, they, they, weren't, they, they didn't think it was John MacArthur. But <laughs> one thing that I, we, we can be sure of is that if you're here tonight, that the Lord drew you here to this place tonight. It wasn't your own doing. The Lord did it through his spirit. And so if he drew you here tonight, he's going to do something tonight in your heart. There'll be a transformation tonight um, because when God's word is opened, uh, he transforms hearts. And it's his living word here. All right. Open with me um, in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13. All right, it says, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. All right, let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this time, Lord, that we have uh, set aside. We have set this time aside to, to worship you, Lord, to that your word would be preached and, and go forth with power tonight. I pray that you would use me, Lord, as a vessel tonight, and that my words would be your words. Lord, that they would not be my own words. Lord, I pray that your word, your word as it is uh, preached tonight would have power, that it would bear fruit, Lord, as it's, I believe, as seed is planted in the hearts of the people tonight, that it will bear fruit. And so, Lord, I pray that your spirit would be in this place with us tonight as we... Um, endeavor to dive into your word, and that you would, again, transform hearts, Lord, that we would not leave the same as we came in here tonight. And so we'll believe that in Jesus' mighty name. Thank you. And so before we get into the text today, 1 Peter 13, um, there's just a few words that I want to say that uh, about the first 12 verses in Peter that lead up to verse 13. And so it goes without saying that Peter is the writer of this, uh, uh, of this book, but believe it or not, there is some, uh, th there is some disagreement on that, but, but I'm not going to get into that today. We believe that the, the word of God is inerrant. We believe when it says Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, that it's Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, that wrote this book. But there's also some dispute among theologians on whether Peter is writing to exiled Jews or Gentile Christians. And... But most likely, he was writing to exiled Jewish Christians living among Gentiles. But what is not in dispute, and I think what's even more important than that, was Peter's audience, that, that they were God's people in a foreign land. 
they were in a place that was not their home. And we see that in verse 1, it says, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion. So these were sojourners. These were strangers. Uh, and in our day and age, we might call them migrants or, or visitors even. They were in a place that was not their home. But what I want you to see tonight is that, is one of the things I want you to see tonight is that Christians, uh, the Christians that the Apostle Peter is writing to are not very different than us. They're not very different than us. We're also sojourners. We're traveling through a strange uh, land, a foreign land, a land that is not our home. This is not our home. And so many times we set our eyes and, and, and our, our plans and our purposes on, on this place, but this is not our home. And I don't know about you, but when I travel in, uh, to a hotel or I go on a trip and I stay in a hotel or, or an Airbnb, I'm not, I'm not fixing that place up. I'm not making it my home, and I'm not, I'm not uh, buying things at PR1 to go fix it up. I'm not doing that. And it doesn't take but just a few weeks to, to, to get to the place of longing and missing my actual home, right? It, for anyone that's ever traveled, that, that's the way it is. And so as exiles from this world and as exiles from our former way of living, we would do very well to take our eyes and our, uh, and our hearts off the things of this world and to put them on our future inheritance that the Lord Jesus gave us. And so there, there's a difference between a temporary place that you're traveling through and then there's a difference between that and, and our home, your actual home. And just imagine for a second if we as God's people truly lived like this was not our home, that our home is already secured for us in heaven. And seated in heavenly places. And so, Peter is the author, as I mentioned earlier. Peter is writing to Christians, living in a place that's not their own. And, but we're going to go back to that in a few minutes. Peter reminds us in verse 3 that these Christians did not become Christians on their own. They didn't become Christians on their own. And sometimes it's very easy for us to get in the mindset that we did uh, X, Y, and Z in order to, we might not say that, but that we are living a holy life and therefore we're earning somehow our salvation. But Peter's writing to Christians, um, uh, he's writing to a group of Christians that, that they, uh, th these Christians did not become Christians on their own. And so in First Peter, verse 3, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That's in verse 3. So they didn't decide to become Christians on their own, right? They didn't decide to become born again on their own. It was through the foreknowledge of God. And the Father is, is all-knowing, but he's also, he, he foreknows who his people will be. And he doesn't look down um, this long, I guess, corridor of time and look and see. And this is the way some people think, and it's, it's a wrong view. But he doesn't look down the corridor of time and say, well, I'm going to look. I, I'm going to look down 100 years, 500 years and see all the people that are going to raise their hand and say, I'm going to turn to the Lord. I'm going to repent uh, of my sins and I'm, gonna, I'm going to put my faith in Christ. And then say, okay, those people, I'm going to foreknow that those people are going to do that. And I'm going to somehow work them into my plan of salvation. He does not do that. 
That's not the way, that's not the way he works. He knows whom he will call. And, and he knows whom he will cause to become born again. He's the one that does all of the work. He even gives us the saving faith. We don't even, it's not even the faith that we uh, put in him. He gives us the faith to put, to uh, declare him as Lord. And so <clears throat> Peter, Peter's saying, you didn't elect yourselves to become part of God's family. You didn't do that. The father did. And you definitely didn't do the work that caused you uh, th that made it all possible, Christ did. Christ did the work. We added, we did nothing to earn our salvation. And so the only way, the only way to faith is through grace. That is the only way, by the grace of God. And it's through sovereign grace, his sovereign grace. And so if you're here tonight and you have been elected, you're one of his elect, you're one of his chosen, just know that it was only by his grace and by his mercy. It was only by his love. We had absolutely nothing to do with it. But beyond that, we really don't know why else he elected us or chose us. We don't know. Romans 11.33 says, Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable are his ways. We do not know why God does what he does, but we can be thankful and we can praise the Lord that he has elected us and chosen us. And so Peter goes on to the point uh, from this point to talking about our inheritance in verse four. If you look at verse four, he says he, he tells us that all who have been born again as sons and daughters of God have uh, have obtained this inheritance in Christ. He gives us three characteristics about this inheritance, three characteristics that we have obtained. Um, and, and so these three characteristics are, are nothing like. So these three characteristics are talking about or describing an eternal inheritance. But that internal in inheritance is nothing like an earthly inheritance, right? Uh, and for anyone who's ever received an earthly inheritance, um, we know that, that they're nothing like an eternal inheritance in these three ways, and I'm going to go over them briefly here. They work the exact opposite. So the three characteristics of our eternal inheritance that Peter lists out are imperishable, imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. And, and like I said, earthly inheritance don't work anything that way, right? They really don't. In an instant, that house that, that has been in the family for years, it can go up in flames, right? The stock portfolio, it can drop like a rock, right? It can. And, 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 and any inheritance that we receive anyway is always perishing. It will not go with us when we go to be with the Lord. So even if, it, even, if, even if the inheritance that we receive did last through our lifetime, we're not taking it with us. It's perishing. And so not only is our inheritance in heaven, but here's, here's a, the beautiful part about it. Peter says in verse 5, Peter says in verse 5 that our inheritance is being kept for us by the power of God. It's being guarded by the very power of God. And that, that amazes me because our inheritance that we have is something that's being guarded by the one who created the heavens and the earth. 
It's being guarded by the one who calls the earth his footstool. And it's being guarded by the one who parts the sea. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. This is the one who is guarding our inheritance. And we ought to take heart and take comfort in knowing that that, that the the God who guards our inheritance is all-powerful and all-knowing. And he's even everywhere at all times. And so... We as heirs should absolutely, we, what Peter says is we should rejoice. We should rejoice in this fact, knowing that we have this inheritance, knowing that it's guarded by the power of God. My question to you all tonight is, is, one of my questions is, is this something that you rejoice in? Is this something that enters your mind daily? What would our lives look like if our joy was rooted, was not rooted in earthly matters or worldly matters? But instead, it was rooted in a, in, a, in a heavenly hope. What would our life really look like if that's what we meditated on throughout the day instead of worldly matters? And if we're being honest, most of us, um, we're not, probably not doing that all throughout the day, every day. And we wonder why we find ourselves upset when we, we find that they don't put bacon on our number five at Whataburger, you know? I mean, we get, we get frustrated for the most ridiculous things. We lose our joy, if you will, for the, most, for the most ridiculous things. And finally, before we get into the text today, the Apostle Peter tells us that when we suffer trials and tests in our lives, for example, I'm going to list a few here, false accusations, slander, ostracism, job loss. I know there's some in the church that have experienced you know, that type of trial uh, recently, defamation, adversities, various types of temptation, censorship, censorship from speech, or uh, any type of persecution instituted by even the state or individuals. That when we go through that, he tells us in verse 7 that, that when this happens, in verse 7, if you look at verse 7, when this happens, we are to rejoice in our inheritance, yes, but that the reason why God allows this type of trial in our life is so that our faith would be tested and it would be revealed as genuine or something else. It's going to be genuine or it's going to be something else. It's going to be genuine or not. And so in other words, our Father loves us so much that he's willing to let us go through the difficulties and the trials and the tests in life so that when we get to the finish line and we find that, that we don't find that that we didn't have genuine faith the entire way through. He tests us in various ways so that we would not be one of those who thinks that they are one of his, but are actually deceived. Pastor Matt did a great job preaching on that in Matthew 7.22 the other day. Matthew 7.22, let's, let's read that scripture. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we did, not prophes- did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name? And do many mighty works in your name. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. It's been said that some goldsmiths, when refining metals, that they'll keep the metal in the furnace until they can see the reflection in it. That's how long they keep it um, in the furnace. They let it be tested, but they, they let it be in the fire until they could see the reflection in it. And is this not really not what, what Peter is telling us in verse 7? 1 Peter 1, 7. 
He says, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That these trials are what God uses to refine our faith until we look like the one who is perfect, and that's Jesus Christ, our Lord. And so that brings us to, the, to our passage today. Um, we're going to start in verse 13. But I want to tell you, I prayed for three points. I asked the Lord for three points. I said, Lord, I know there's at least three points in here in this passage. And, <laughs> and uh, it would be great if there were one word points. Anyway, the Lord answered my prayer and he gave me three points. So the three points tonight are preparation, position, and perspective. Preparation, position, and perspective. So look at verse 13. The first word in verse 13, he says, Peter says, therefore. And in that two-syllable word, Peter is saying a whole lot. He's telling his readers that in light of the fact that you've been born again to newness of life by the grace and by the mercy of God, in light of the fact that this was not your own doing, but all of grace, and in light of the fact that you've been given an imperishable undefiled, unfading inheritance kept for you in heaven by the power of the Almighty God in light of the fact that your Father cares so deeply, so deeply for you and about your eternity with Him in heaven that He would put you through these various tests and trials to refine and to perfect your faith for future glory with Him. In light of all of that, Peter says, prepare. He says, prepare your minds. For action. Prepare your minds for action in verse 13. And in light of, so in the New King, excuse me, in the New King James Version, it renders like this it says, Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind. I had an image, I decided not to share it. Um, it showed exactly how one would gird up their loins. I thought it was interesting, but I decided not to put it up. So, in antiquity, people wore, and, and people still do wear, wear these today, a tunic that would span all the way to the floor. And so when preparing for something strenuous or, or a battle, they would, or, or for action of some sort, they would, they would pull up their tunic and they would, they would, they would wrap it around their, their upper thigh and then they would tuck it into their belt. And so that was called girding up their, their loins. And so it allowed them to move freely and without hindrance. And so Peter, Peter, what Peter is saying here is he's saying that we have a race to run. We have a battle to fight. And it can't be fought if our minds are hindered by outside worldly influences. How are we going to run this race if, how are we going to be victorious at all? In our, in, a, in our race or in our, this battle that we're in, if we're constantly tripping and stumbling over worldly influences in our lives. How are we going to do that? Let's go to Colossians 3.1. It says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are on the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ 
in Christ, um, excuse me, and you, your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. And so living after earthly things, worldly things, the Bible says, is idolatry. And it's idolatry because when we do this, we are worshiping ourselves. We're worshiping our own fleshly desires, ourselves. We're not worshiping the Lord. We're worshiping ourselves. And so how in the world are we going to fight this battle and run this race if we are of the world? How are we going to do that? Let's go to Philippians 4.8. Turn with me to Philippians 4.8, please. It says in Philippians 4.8, I'm just going to move right through. It says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence... If there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. So no human being that I know of can, can entertain two thoughts at the same time. It, it's, it, it's one thought or the other. It's thoughts of the Lord or it's thoughts of the world. It's one or the other. And that's how God made us. And so this is exactly why Paul is telling us in this, in this section of scripture, scripture, to think on godly things. Because as we do, we're taking our thoughts off of the world and we're putting them on Christ. You see, it's one or the other. You either have your thoughts on the world and not on Christ, or you, have your, or you take your thoughts off this world and put them on Christ. And so how do we prepare our minds for action? We proactively set our minds on higher things. We take our thoughts off of worldly passions and desires, and we set them on Christ and his word. In the first chapter of the book of Psalms, it tells us what a blessed and righteous man does. On his law, he meditates day and night, or on his word, he meditates day and night. And so, yes, this meditation of God's word, God's law, is done with the heart. It is done with the heart, but it's also done with the mind. And I think sometimes it's very easy for us Christians to, to just be so focused on the heart and forget the mind. And I think that's what Peter is also telling us in this passage. He's saying, he's also saying in that same verse, let's be sober-minded. He's saying, let's be sober-minded people. Let's not be um, the, the type of people whose minds are not engaged in, in, in this battle that we're in. And so as we are awaiting our future glory with Christ. Let's be a sober-minded people. That's what Peter's saying. Has anyone in here ever seen a drunk person? You don't have to raise your hand. Uh, that, that, that is one of the most pitiful things that I have seen and been in my life. It's completely out of, you're completely out of control, completely unaware, unable to do anything, and incoherent completely incoherent and unbalanced. And in other words, you are essentially rendered useless. You're rendered useless. And this is a picture of what it's like when, when our minds are set on worldly matters. 
And that's why the, the Apostle Peter is saying, be sober-minded. Don't put your mind and your thoughts on the world. It's like a drunken person. So some of us in here tonight, I mean, we may, we may need to take a spiritual breathalyzer test. We may need to take a spiritual breathalyzer test. But seriously, though, search your heart. Ask the Lord to, to show you. Are, are, you being, are, are, are you sober-minded as you seek after Christ? Are you a sober-minded Christian, putting your thoughts on Christ, your thoughts on his word, your thoughts on higher things, or are you putting them on something else? <clears throat> so, the second point is position. Yeah, I hesitate to even bring up the celebrity, so I'm not going to mention their name. But I want to use one of their slogans as an example here. They use a slogan that, that, where they say, know your role. They say, know your role. And really, the people of God, if y'all, if y'all have heard it before, you know what I'm talking about. But they, they, he says, know your role. And Peter here, Peter is saying that we need to know who we are in Christ. We need to know who we are. And not only who we are, but we need to know whose we are. We need to understand our position in the kingdom of God. We really need to do this, guys. We need to understand our role and our position and who we are in Christ if we're going to walk this out. And so let's look at verse 14 again. He says, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who has called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. But in verse 14, the very beginning, he says, as obedient children. As obedient children. They needed a reminder that they were children of God. And all those who have professed Christ as Lord are children of God. We are children of God. But there are some who say and many of us have probably have conversations with, with those at our workplace or somewhere else where they will say, well, we're all children of God. We're all children of God. And, and that couldn't be more wrong. And that is troubling, especially because if everyone thinks that they're children of God, then what reason do we have to follow God and submit to God and, 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 and submit to his commandments and, and walk in his ways if we're all children of God? And not a single one of us, by the way, we're children of, we're, we're always children of God. So there's the flip side where we were not always children of God, not one of us. By nature, we were children of wrath. But in Galatians 4.4, it says, uh, I'm sorry, in Galatians 4.4, it says, we, ha- we see here that we have a new nature. We, as God's people, his children have been given a new nature. It says in Galatians 4.4, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And so, guys, if, if you are here tonight and you've put your faith in Christ, I want to tell you, you ought to have a confidence that you are a son and you are a daughter of God. You're a son and you're a daughter of the Most High God. And if you really think about it for a minute, 
something to meditate on or at night or when you can't sleep at night. Think, just think on the fact that the God of the universe has taken into you into his home and, and, and provided a way for you to be part of his family and, and made you one of his own. That's an absolute miracle. That's a miracle that the God of the universe would even want or desire to have us as part of his family. And so there's no gray area. There's, there's no in-between. We either are his or we're not his. It's one or the other. We're either his or not. We're either children of God or we're not. And so it's no secret. We all know. We all, a lot of us have children in here. We know that children take on the nature of their parents. Right? Children look like their parents. Children sound like their parents, which is not always good. Sometimes it is. And they think like their parents. Even their DNA is like their parents. And so if, if, if we are children of God, then our life should conform to the pattern of the one whose name that we bear. If we say that we are children of God, then our life should conform to the pattern, to, to who he is. In other words, we should be more like him. We should be just like him. Of course, we're not going to be exactly like him because he is God and we are not. But we should be conformed to his image, if you will, the image of Christ. And, and we not only should conform, we must conform. And I think that's part of what Peter's saying here. And so the, the DNA of God is holiness. He is pure holiness. And he, holiness means separateness, or it means otherness. It means purity. Secondarily, it means purity. It means that he is perfect in every single way. Everything about him is perfect. And just as God is, is, is separate, just as he is, is, is something other than what we are, he is above us, just, just as he is separate from the world, we also, as his children, ought to be separate. We must be separate from the world in, in the same way that he is separate from the world if we call ourselves children of God, and we are. Let's look at 1 John 2.15. It says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but it is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. And so... Are you conforming your life to Christ or to the pattern of this world? What pattern are you conforming to? Ask God, search your heart, and he will show you. I believe that. By his spirit, he'll show you. And so Peter says to be obedient children in verse 14. And, you know, we, we serve a God who does not compromise with sin. He does not. He cannot sin. And neither should his children. His children should not compromise with sin. And so when the world says, well, watching a little bit of that is fine. It's not a big deal. Right. We say what the scripture I read earlier. Is it honorable? Is it just? Is it pure? Is it lovely? Is it commendable? 
Is there any excellence in it at all? And so that, that, that just whittles down Netflix down to like one, maybe one show. Maybe. That's a maybe. When the world says it's fine, it's not hurting anyone, we say, is it honorable? Is it just? Is it pure? Is it lovely? Is it commendable? Is there any excellence in this? And when the world says anything at all, anything at all, we say what Peter says in verse 16 of our text today. He says, it is written. He says, it is written, be holy for I am holy. We go to the word of God. When the world tries to conform us their way or its way, we go to God's word. So Peter isn't saying that we must be sinless. We know that that's not going to happen. We're not going to be without sin. We know that anybody that, that says they're without sin is a liar. Right? The Bible says that. Though we should sin less. <clears throat> but there is one who is sinless. And there is one with that title. With the title of the perfect one. And that's Jesus Christ our Lord. But what Peter is saying and what the Spirit of God is saying is that as children of God, we must separate ourselves from worldliness and sin and become separate unto God. We must separate ourselves from sin and, and separate ourselves unto God. In Romans, the first book of Romans, verse 1, uh, the, the Apostle Paul, he says it like this. He says, the Apostle, I, the Apostle Paul, separated unto the gospel of Christ. So, so that, that, that it was God who pulled him out of a sinful way of living, a sinful lifestyle, worldly way of living. He pulled him out and he separated him not to nothing. He didn't just separate him and leave him out on, on his own. He separated him unto the gospel of Christ. So, so we have to separate ourselves, not just from sin, but unto something. We... we, we, we we must not just try to clean ourselves up uh, of sin and, and, and leave ourselves empty, but that we must separate ourselves unto God, unto righteousness, unto holy living, unto Christ. And so let's stop being a people that's so easily lured back into the world. It, it, we see it all around us. It's so easy to get lured back into the world if we do not prepare our minds. And so, didn't we do that before Christ, though? Didn't we do that in our former ignorance? But now we have something in our possession. We have a treasure in our possession. We have the mind of Christ. We have the very mind of Christ, is what Scripture says. And so, we also have the power of the Holy Spirit. And without the Holy Spirit, it would be absolutely impossible to do any of this. And we wouldn't even want to do any of it without the Holy Spirit. And so we are sons and we are daughters of God. And as such, we have been given the Spirit of God and his word to transform our lives from worldly living to holy living. And so let's not forget who we are. Let's not forget who we are as we go out this week, that we are sons and daughters of the Most High God. And that with every word that flows out of our mouth, that we, we, we speak as a son and as a daughter. With every deed that we do with our hands and with our feet and with our thoughts, 
that they would be thoughts of God, thoughts from God, thoughts from his word, thoughts led by the Holy Spirit. All right, point three is perspective. So let's go back to our text. And and what I want to do is I want to go backwards through the last three verses. And the reason I want to go backwards to the last three verses is because many times in Scripture, the why comes after the how. So I want to start in verse 18 and 19 and then go back to verse 17 here in a few minutes. It says in verse 18, 1 Peter 1.18, Knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. And so what Peter is doing here is he's putting priorities, he's putting right priorities in the right order. He's putting things into the right perspective here. And sometimes we don't look, we don't look at things correctly as Christians. We don't. Actually, that, that, that's, that probably happens a lot more than we, we think it does or that we would want to admit to one another, that we don't put things in the right perspective. And, and here's the problem. Often we don't put a high enough value on what Christ has done for us. We don't put a high enough value on it. Christ paid a very, very high price for your salvation. He paid the ultimate price. In fact, there is no higher price that could have been paid. There's no amount, as Peter says a second ago, of silver and gold, or today, money, that you or anyone else could have paid for your salvation. There's no amount of money. Elon Musk doesn't have enough money to pay for your salvation. Neither does Jeff Bezos. Okay? And even if they did have enough money, to, even if they did, they wouldn't do it. They wouldn't pay for your salvation because they don't love you more than they love their money. But Christ does. Christ does love you that much. The only one who ever has and ever will live, he's the only one who ever has and ever will live a perfect life. He's the only one. And he is also the only one that ever laid it down for you and me. Christ died your death and he bore your wrath because of your sins. And not just your sins, but the sins of the world. The sins of the world. And no one in here would do that for anyone else. And if we're being honest, we wouldn't. Especially not for someone that hates us. And that's exactly who we were before Christ. We hated him. And we're his enemies. We hated God. And, you know, there are some who would say, well, Christ didn't, he didn't lay, no, he didn't lay his life down for, for people. Um, he was forced to do it. Um, he was captured and he was crucified. He was forced to do it. But no one took his life from him. No one forced him to lay down his life for you. He did it willingly. And Jesus himself says that he says, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down of my own accord. He laid his life down on his own will. It was his own will, his own um, accord. So we got we to gotta constantly, daily, I want to say every minute, every second of every day, we have to keep things and put things in the right perspective. We have to remember um, what Christ has done and the great cost that, it, that, that, it was, that, that, that he gave in order to secure our salvation. We can't fully comprehend how great of a transaction it actually was 
that took place, you know, his righteousness for our wrath. And so, in, uh, so Peter in, is saying in verses 18 and 19, he's saying, do not forget, do not forget that you were ransomed and do not forget the cost. So in conclusion tonight, how do we respond to his tremendous act of grace? Not only securing our salvation, but also giving us an inheritance with him in heaven for all of eternity. Let's go back to verse 17. He says, conduct yourselves, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. So how should we respond to this tremendous act of grace given to us by God? Peter says that we should walk in the fear of the Lord. We should walk in the fear of the Lord. In other words, we should walk with or live this life out in reverence. In, in adoration of the Lord, um, a fear of offending the Lord, a fear of disappointing the Lord. The Apostle Paul in Romans 12, 2 says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God and what is good and acceptable and perfect. So as we present our bodies as, uh, to him on a daily basis, as a, as a living sacrifice, as our spiritual worship, part of doing that includes preparing our minds. That's part of it. So let's be a people that sets our minds on higher things, how are, you, how are we, any one of us in here, going to know what those higher things are if we, don't, uh, if we don't put the Word of God in us on a daily basis? The only way to know what God's will is, is to know His Word. We've got to be a people that intentionally, intentionally, actively separates ourselves from the influences and the indoctrination, indoctrination of this world and of the culture around us. And instead, of, instead of, uh, and instead spend our time because it's wasting away. It, it, it is passing away. Our, our lives, we all think we're going to live till we're 80, 90 years old. That is not necessarily always the case. Our li life is short. The Bible says it's, it's but a vapor. And so we should instead spend our time and our focus and our energies on indoctrinating ourselves with the word of God. And so as we leave today, let's not forget that we're sons and we're daughters of the Most High God. And even though we're living in a place that's not our own, we're just sojourners here passing through, don't forget that we are children of God. And because we are children, he has given us his spirit. He has given us a spirit as a deposit for our future inheritance. It's that the Bible says that we are sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. And so he's given us a spirit. And so in reverence and in fear of the Lord, let's be sensitive. Let's be sensitive to his leading, the spirit's leading in our lives. If we say that we have fear of the Lord and he's living, living in us, and he's moving, and he's speaking to us by his spirit, 
then let's be reverent in the sense that we listen to his word as he's speaking to us. Let's be reverent in the way that we get into his word as, as he wants to know us. He has given us his word to know who he is. So if we want to walk with a, in a fear of the Lord, in a reverence of the Lord, we will open up his word to know him. And so let's not quench what he's trying to do. We're not to quench the Holy Spirit. Let's not quench what he's trying to do. Because what he wants to do is he wants to lead us into holiness. He wants to make us more like him. And so lastly, let's, let's not forget the great price that has been paid to ransom us from the shackles of sin. Let us not forget that. That the, the reason why we were ransomed is that you and I could be called the children of God. And so we've been set free. Today we stand and we sit here today that in the state of, of those who have been set free from the shackles of sin. But we haven't been set free just to sit around and piddle around. We've been set free to live a life that's pleasing unto him. That's what we've been set free for. To, to, that our lives would be like a, a pleasing aroma to the Lord. And so as we do that, let's stop deriving our joy from the things of this world. It's so easy to do. But let's stop doing that. Let's stop deriving our joy from the things of this world. And instead, let's anchor and let's root our joy in our eternal home. In the Lord, in what the Lord has done on our behalf. This glorious eternal inheritance that he has given us that was only made possible by the grace of God, by the precious blood of Christ. Amen? All right, let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this uh, time together that we've had, Lord, where we could open up your word. Lord, I, I pray, Lord, that you would help us as we go out this week to live a life that's pleasing unto you. That, that, that we would, out of fear, and, and even fear and trembling, Lord, that we would endeavor to obey your word, to obey your commands, Lord, to walk in holiness and in righteousness, Lord. I pray this week that you would remind us, Lord, as we get into our, uh, our personal time of prayer, that you would, you would remind us to set our minds on the joy, uh, on the inheritance that we have been given in Christ. Remind us, Lord, of the great cost that, that was paid as we were ransomed from uh, sin and from death. Lord, remind us this week, and, and I pray that, that joy would rise up in our hearts unceasing joy, unending joy, Lord, as you remind us of that this week. Help us this week, Lord, by your spirit. Give us the strength that we need. Give us the courage this week as we go out to be bold witnesses for your glory, Lord. I thank you in Jesus' name.